This episode of Where to Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Blood Simple from 1984. If you've never seen the movie before and you want to take part in this series by submitting in a review, then hit pause right now, go away, check the movie out and come back with your review. If, however, you've seen the movie before or you really just don't care about spoilers, keep listening on. Don't say you weren't warned. And welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season three, episode number seven. On this third season of Where To Begin With, we are turning our attention to film noir and neo-noir movies. We've already covered some of the classics, the tomes of the genre, and we went back in time and forward to what a lot of people, reviewers, critics and audiences would argue are the, the must-sees, the updates, the re-evaluations of the genre. There's a weird time period in between where the term neo-noir really starts to take a foothold. Post-Chinatown, the genre starts to go through a bit of a revival and we get different adaptations set in different time periods. It could be Blade Runner, for example, which takes things to the future. Or it could be a movie like Blood Simple, that darkly weaves a very, very simple narrative, but in such a way with powerhouse performances and expert direction from first-time directing and producing brothers Joel and Ethan Cohen, that it's really difficult to imagine that one, this is a debut movie, but two, this is a movie that, at its essence and its core, encapsulates everything that makes noir cinema appealing, but also terrifying when done correctly. This movie is their debut and it's kind of birthed out a weird relationship that the brothers would have with Sam Raimi. And that that kind of, that friendship, that parallel of trying to make your way in an industry which doesn't always favour, especially in this time period, the plucky upstarts that try and pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get out there and, and create cinema magic is maybe especially in these, especially in the darker genres are kind of held as, you know bastions for gatekeepers who 
are established names that know what they're doing. Blood Simple's benefited by the fact that it is, at its core, and like all the best noir cinema, very simple, easy to articulate, and also easy to understand story, which is about love, lies, betrayal, and death. It's handled in a way where you really start to, in a lot of respects, get a feel for what the Cohn brothers are going to do over the next 40 years in cinema. Uh, a way that you get these strange characters brought to the screen, sometimes larger life and sometimes uh, puzzling with motives. But a fresh and vibrant cinema, one that is almost overloaded with what will now be very well cinematically catalogued as Coen Brother-esque tropes. The beauty of what Blood Simple does is it takes its characters down to a base level. It delivers what noir is designed to deliver. It's those templates that we've mentioned before throughout the season, as we'll mention in this review. It's love. It's lies, it's betrayal, it's murder. It's people acting to their base needs. Almost knee-jerk at times, but even at their most cunning, they're still in it for themselves. Noir is very much about that. It's characters being selfish. And they get no more selfish than basically our main four players in Blood Simple. Put quite simply, and that's a lot simple, um, we have Dan Hedea, who's playing a guy called Marty, who hires a private detective, played fantastically in this movie by M. Emmett Walsh, um, who plays Visser, to take photos of his wife Abby, who is at this point played by a very young uh, Francis McDormand, who is, you know, long-storied career with not only the Cones going as far as to be married to one of them, um, but Marty believes that Abby is having an affair, and Emma um, Walsh takes the photos to prove it. Not only is she having an affair, though, she's having an affair with John Getz's character, Ray, and Ray works for Marty in his bar, so it's like a double betrayal. What he decides to do is he decides to pay the private detective to take out a hit on his wife and her lover. And pays, promises to pay anyway, a large sum of money and goes away to create an alibi while, while going away fishing. When he returns, um, Emmett Walsh has photos to prove he has done the deed. And once he gets his hands on the money, he shoots Marty, and we actually find out that he's faked and staged these photographs, creating the perfect crime. Um, one crime that's likely to fall back on Ray, if anything comes out. You know, it looks like Ray and Abby have been found out, so he steals the money after being fired and kills his employer. Or maybe Abby, who's trying to get away from a husband she doesn't love anymore, and no one's going to link it back to the private detective. There's one slight problem though, he leaves his lighter there and that kind of implicates him. So essentially the private detective has to 
clean up any loose ends that might tie things back to him. And that's your setup. That's really it. It culminates in a, a absolutely, truly horrific scene of, of kind of home invasion. I remember when Bravo, and it's it's worth mentioning this now because uh, Shudder, the TV streaming and movie streaming station for all things horror, are currently doing their top horror scenes. And I remember Bravo did this way back in the day and Blood Simple was on that list and it was for the scene of Emmett Walsh trying to kill Frances McDormand as she is in her empty apartment and sticking his hand through the window and having this window slammed upon it and a knife drawn through it as this great scene of suspense and it still holds up. The beauty of Blood Simple is this movie still holds up. It's really, really, really well done and because it doesn't overshoot anything because it doesn't try and make the the character interactions too complex or even something that would be wholly dated for example it it traverses decade by decade and if anything I think Blood Simple is as good a film now as it was upon its release in 84 I think it's that that strong I wasn't joking when I said in the previous episode that is like one of my favourite of the genre when I think neo-noir I think blood simple is is, is as easy as that um, and mostly it's down to like I said before those powerhouse performances the casting is excellent uh, Dan Hedaya is like a sleazeball but at the same time he's a tragically flawed character a character that can't find his way out of a cul-de-sac M.M. Walsh is like maybe the most genius casting you can get in one of these movies and it's also a testament to how Coen brothers will always they'll always bring in a character that kind of feels a little bit off and that's his character in Russia you know he's constantly making uh, these comparisons to communist Russia which in in no way shape or form actually mean anything really to the plot except you should be out for yourself capitalism's great and um, it could be worse, she could be over in Russia. Um, Frances McDormand, you can see early on, she's that incredible screen presence, and we go on to, you know, she's won Oscars and will continue to enthrall, she's an incredible actress, and she's been utilised in many different facets in Coen Brothers movies. And then on top of that, I think John Getz is just the stalwart character. What's What's kind of shocking about watching this movie is seeing him die. It's, it's one of those things where you just... You just assume that you just assume that that sort of character, the strong and silent type, survives to the end, and he doesn't. You know, he he, he dies ultimately. He's a deeply flawed character as well, and as the suspicion carries through this movie, it kind of ultimately brings out the worst in everyone. One of the most powerful scenes in this movie is the the scene of of Getsy's character burying a barely alive Hadea alive and it's absolute horror it's 100% horror and it's not because someone's been buried alive it's just the the way the camera just leers over the shot you feel every scoop of dirt crashing upon Hadea's face it's kind of it's kind of genius um and to me just like once again elevates the, the, the movie so well it's another one that just makes you instantly remember this movie there's certain scenes that stand out for sure and that by far is one of them 
Um, I also think on top of that that this movie has like a great like double bill of not only having great direction, which it duly does, and incredible performances. It really, really does. It's casted very, very well. But the score by Carter Burwell is is brilliant. It's everything you want from a noir, but updated. It's not that jazziness that you got when we were talking about movies like Brick, for example. It, it's got a very cool score and fits with it. It's moody and, and brooding and it kind of hangs over over the top and that's that's you know absolutely incredible and then the second thing is the you know is the cinematography for this and you have um you have the 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 cinematography by barry sonnenfeld who's done everything this guy's been involved with with cinema right throughout the ages everything from kind of garish colors he's a director in his own right as well as we're saying but uh, garish colours right through to uh, you know very kind of more, more more subdued um, palettes, um, and it's worked on incredible. What you say, you know, obviously reunited with the Coen Brothers for a few of their projects, whether it's something like Raising Arizona or Miller's Crossing. Um, but particularly for me, the, the the cinematography of a movie like Misery, for example. Is, is a lot linked to what he's doing here in, in Blood Simple. And actually those movies themselves um, can operate really well in a strange kind of double bill if you ever want to fancy doing something like that. Blood Simple is an incredible movie, taken away from the fact it's a debut by two incredibly talented uh, writers and directors who have changed the landscape of cinema. They really have, if you look at like a best of decade list for like the 2000s, the 90s and the 80s, if those top lists don't have at least one or two Coen Brothers movies on them, then they are flawed lists and that's as simple as that. But I'm really interested to see where you guys come in on this. Ultimately, that's where we land in all of this. This is my thoughts, but what are your opinions? And you will find out how you can get involved by submitting in your review for Blood Simple after we get to some unfinished business from the previous episode. So let's turn our attention over to your reviews, ladies and gents, for the movie we discussed on the previous episode. And it's two reviews in, it's the usual characters on this one, Tim Walker and David Garrett Jr. And we're going to be hearing about what you guys thought of the Maltese Falcon, starting off with Tim, who says, Dear Duncan and Teapot's Collective People, The Maltese Falcon is up next, and it's one I had seen before, but it was in many PCs and many, many years ago. So only parts of the movie rang a bell with me. I might as well have never seen it, so much of it felt totally new. I'm somewhat familiar with the character from the old radio show of the 40s, The Adventures of Sam Spade. I often get Spade confused with Philip Marlowe because they were both very popular detectives of the time and both were at one point played by Humphrey Bogart in the movies. Bogart was Marlowe in The Big Sleep. Marlowe was much more of a serious character though, as I recall, and Spade had a wicked sense of humour. He's quite often trolling people to see how they'd react, and that comes across well in The Maltese Falcon. Not that he was all jokes, but there was a bit of humour to the character. Well, two things really struck me with The Maltese Falcon. How beautifully it's shot, and how top-notch the acting is, and not just by Bogart. Mary Astor, Peter Lorre, 
a good friend of Bogart for many years, Elijah Cook Jr., who we recently saw in The Killing, and of course was in horror flicks like House on Haunted Hill, Messiah of Evil and Salem's Lot, and especially Sydney Green Street as Gutman, aka The Fat Man, top-notch acting and dialogue. Green Street, by the way, played a detective on a popular radio show himself. He was the title character in The Adventures of Nero Wolf, which ran for many years, but unfortunately only 20-something episodes remain that aren't lost. Even if I didn't know what he looked like, I'd know that voice, and especially that laugh anywhere, whether he was a hero or a villain. The plot was a bit convoluted, but I think it came together pretty well. I can't really think of too many negatives to be brutally honest. Spade was a compelling character, though like James Bond I was never quite sure who his love interest is. I'd say his secretary's best bet. By the way, in the radio show they portrayed his secretary as a ditzy blonde but she seems smart as a whip in the Maltese Falcon. Yet while this may not be the best detective film ever made or anything, it probably should be in the discussion. This movie is a masterclass of filmmaking, acting, plotting and dialogue. I love the last line by the way. I believe it was a quote or at least a paraphrase of Shakespeare. I'm giving this one a four and a half stars though I can't really see what would have put it over the top to being a full five star film. Maybe I need to watch it a few more times, which I can. It was only five bucks to buy it right on Amazon Video. That doesn't exactly break the bank, right? I urge my fellow Teapots Collective people to give it a go, stay safe, and never trust a guy who looks like Peter Lorre and a woman who can't get her story straight. Tim. Thanks very much for that, Tim. I'm very much looking forward to hearing your review of Blood Simple. Our second final review comes in from our good buddy, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and Teapots Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here once again for Where to Begin with Film Noir and Neo-Noir Films. And the next one we are going to be covering is definitely a classic in the genre and one that I had seen once, but it had been quite a while since that last viewing. So to kind of... I've already brought this up a little bit, but I'm pretty sure that I originally saw this in college. I'm not sure what the theme of the class was. I know I did take a class on film noir, but the one that pops into my mind was where we would read a book and then we would watch two film adaptations. I don't think we did that for this, so it might have just been one that focused on like cinema of the past, and this was just one that we landed on for like the 40s. But... I do know that I watched this at the Gateway Film Center back before it became a nonprofit, but they were still working with Ohio State University at that time, and as I said, I'm pretty sure my sister came to visit and we saw this one in that theater. But this is falling into that era of hard-boiled detective stories, and we have one of the more famous characters here of Sam Spade, portrayed by Humphrey Bogart. He has a business partner with Miles Archer, and one day they have a Brigid O'Shaughnessy comes in and wants their help. Miles jumps at the chance and ends up leaving him dead. All the events are circled around a statue of the Maltese Falcon that belonged to the Knights Templar. I can't remember, I think it was like Charles V or something like that, that they were going to give this to him as a gift, but then it was stolen en route, and it... It's actually kind of an interesting story with that thing is it's supposed to have all these jewels and everything and be made of gold and somebody had put over this 
covering over it that's black to kind of hide its worth. So then Sam traverses this underworld with the likes of Joel Cairo, portrayed by the great Peter Lorre. We have Casper Gutman and then Wilmer Cook, who another one that we've already kind of covered in another movie with Alicia Cook Jr., which I didn't realize who he was at the time. It's just kind of funny, all the movies that I've seen this guy in, and he keeps popping up in ones that I didn't even realize. Now, he also deals with detectives here like Dundee and Tom Polhas in the process of trying to have this dealings and everything like that. So what makes this movie work for me are the performances. We have an all-star cast of actors that I knew before even seeing any of their movies. Humphrey Bogart is just a legend and plays his private investigator so well. I thought that Mary Astor was fine as our femme fatale that Sam falls for, but he also knows that she's dangerous, so... I mean, they're still kind of keeping her at arm's length, and he'll still do his job regardless. It's also great, as I was saying, to see, like, Laurie and Cook, along with the rest of the cast here. And I should probably also say that John Huston did an excellent job with this movie. I don't think the filmmaking aspects here, like, blow me away or anything, but he just is able to tell a tight story here. Now, this runs an hour and 40 minutes, but it doesn't feel like it, as as I settled in, it just flew by. And he also did the screenplay, as this is based off of a novel. I looked up about this a little bit. It seems like Sam Spade had a series of them not a whole lot but I mean he's definitely not like the Philip Marlowe that I know more as I watch more of his films in class but regardless this is a well-made movie and classic of the genre the character of Sam Spade would appear in other works I said but this is his most popular and it's also what I found is that he's the blueprint for Philip Marlowe this is just a movie that I sink into and follow where the mystery takes me. Due to all that, I just think this is a great movie. So I'm glad, Duncan, that you selected it so I could finally give this one a rewatch because I've been meaning to do it since I became more of a cinephile. So my rating here for the Maltese Falcon is going to be a 4.5 out of 5 on the T-Put scale. And for the next movie here, Duncan, is one that I don't think I actually knew about existing until listening to the Coen Brothers retrospective that you did. I think that's where I first heard about it, so I'm really intrigued as it went on a list of movies to check out, so I'm definitely glad to knock it off there. Can't wait to hear the episode and everyone else's thoughts for The Maltese Falcon, as well as to hear your thoughts on Blood Simple. This is David Garrett Jr., and I am signing off. And thank you very much to David Garrett Jr. for his review of The Maltese Falcon. A big thanks to both Tim and David for their participation, not only on this episode, but the series as a whole. Right, Blood Simple is your homework assignment, couldn't be any easier, it's a movie that is relatively easy to get your hands on and has incredible, let's say it, incredible scans now. I believe you can now get your hands on a 4K UHD of this one, but the 4K remaster is pretty incredible nonetheless. Your date for review for this one, nice and easy, needs to be into me Monday the 17th of October. The episode will be going out on Friday the 21st. So Monday the 17th of October, episode will drop on Friday the 21st. And on that episode, we will continue, but this time in a different tact. This time doing a movie from 2005 that has a huge degree of humour involved in it. It's fast-paced, it's got a Shane Black script as well as he's Shane Black behind the director's chair. It's a movie that essentially resurrects the career of Robert Downey Jr. and that movie would be Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So in this one we're following that noir template but this time we're doing it through action and humour. I can already imagine Tim Walker's eyes rolling in the back of his head. Sorry Tim but we have to be honest the genre 
permeates through uh, comedies, dramas, horror, bit of action. So it's all in there. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is our next movie from 2005. And that will be episode 8. We are hurtling close to the end of this season. And in relation to the podcast under the stairs, the other feed that I have, I do a thing called Movie Club over there, which kind of inspired the start of this show. Movie Club will be slowly fading away by the end of this year and essentially where to begin with will be taking its place moving forward we will be in season four next year promoting it more for listener reviews on cinema in general for whatever subgenre we pick so don't worry if you are a listener over there and you were thinking that this one might be going the same way my intention is to keep this going right through next year so there's that as well so there we go. So your homework out there is to do a little review of Blood Simple and then get that Blood Simple review into me for Monday the 18th of October. That episode will drop on Friday the 21st and I'll be reviewing Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from 2005. So all that's left for me to say is thank you for supporting the shows on the Tea Putts Collective and thank you very much for checking out this episode of Where to Begin With. Take care of yourselves and until the next time.